0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the second-to-last Relic reveal the final saint. Next week, we got something that's going to top even this saint, but this week, we have, I think, humbly, the most important guy. It's me. Just kidding. We have the relics of Saint Simon Peter, the first pope. Do, Do you hear me? We got Simon Peter, people. One of the ancients, prince of the apostles. We got him, and now let's talk about him. Looking back at the early life of St. Peter, we know nothing. We can make some inferences. He was born in Bethsaida, which is up in north on the Sea of Galilee. So if you remember Israel at that time, right, the south was Judea, because that's where the tribe of Judah lived, capital of Jerusalem. Then you had Samaria, kind of like a diamond in the middle. And then above that was a place called Galilee of the Gentiles or of the nations, because the 10 northern tribes, they're gone. The Assyrian Empire took out the 10 northern tribes. They're gone forever. So after the Babylonian exile in the 500s, when Jews came back to the Holy Land, a lot of them emigrated up north and resettled and built communities, especially along the Jordan River and around the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is up north where Jesus was raised, but Jesus was born down south in the city of David, Bethlehem, right? So when you start to look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels when they tell the story of Jesus his ministry is about one year long it focuses almost entirely in the north as he's gathering together that which sin and idolatry had scattered so it's fascinating to hear the story of Saint Simon Peter's conversion I love this story so I don't know about y'all but when I hear stories of saints Jay tell me if you feel this way you hear the story of the saints and you're like wow I can never be like that, now I'm sad. You ever felt that way? They are a little hard to kinda put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, it's hard to put yourself in their shoes. Like, oh look, it's Saint Catherine of Siena who was mystically married to Jesus when she was five. Okay, like, sometimes it's difficult to do this, but when I used to read the story of the conversion of Simon, right? Simon Peter. I used to be like, really? Really? In Matthew and Mark's gospel, he's out there fishing. Jesus walks by and says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then scripture says that Peter, Simon, leaves all of his stuff and abandons his family and follows Jesus. And I remember when I was a little kid, I heard a sermon and it's like, oh, if only we had the faith of Peter who just left everything. And I used to think I could never, like, here's a guy. He's like, oh, you think you're fishing? What if you fished men? I would probably say, what does that even mean? Weird guy. But this is the thing. You look at Matthew and Mark, they give you the tiny account. You got to go into Luke chapter five, verses one through 12. And that gives you the deep account. That gives you the big story. So what can we learn from the highlights of the call of Simon? Number one, A fisherman with his brother multi-generational business he probably made some fat coin doing that fishing when do you go fishing right before sunrise why because the surface is the coolest it's going to be the fish are going to come up higher you're not going to have bright uh you know sunlight that will cast shadows and scare away the fish so what do they do they go out there middle of the night and they fish until morning throwing out nets right they're hauling in they're commercial fishermen okay so what happens well they do it all all night and all morning They got nothing. So there, Peter is mending his nets. And all of a sudden, you could just imagine, he's washing the nets, mending the nets. And he looks up and all of a sudden, hundreds, if not thousands of people are around him because the news of this new prophet, Jesus, is coming to town and they're there to meet him. So we already know that news has gone around. So Simon had probably already heard of him. And there, Jesus is standing right in front of him. So he's like, whoa. And then Jesus says, can I get into your boat And let's push out a little from the shore so everyone can crowd around the shore and I can teach them. So now you have Peter sitting in a boat with the front row seat to the greatest homily you have ever heard. And here he is. Wow, this guy might be a prophet. And now he's hearing the words of Christ, the very word of God incarnate. He's hearing him preach for the first time. And it's incredible. And I'm sure it changed his life. But but the story doesn't end there then jesus looks at simon disregards the crowds and says put out into the deep waters and there you will lower your nets for a catch and the career fisherman who comes from a family of fishermen says to him rabbi like you could imagine the patronite like mm, okay see you're a rabbi and i'm a fisherman you do the talky talky i do the fishy fishy right so what does he say he says rabbi we have been all, out all night and we have caught nothing But to be nice and respectful, good little Jewish boy that I am, we'll put out into deep waters, we'll lower our net. So what happens? Well, the story recalls that he doesn't just catch a lot of fish. He catches an obscene, over-the-top, incredible, impossible amount of fish, so much so that another boat has to come by his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they have to bring their boat, and both boats are almost going to sink. That is the sheer gratuitousness of God. And you understand that Jesus is not trying to be like, look, I know where all the good fish are. He's trying to tell something to this man named Simon. Simon, the fisherman. Simon, the multi-generational guy running the fishing business. And he looks at him. And he realizes this man is not just a prophet. Something incredible has happened here. And Simon's next response needs to be our response when we encounter the living God. He falls on his knees, lowers his head, and says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And the next words out of Jesus' mouth are the game changer. Be not afraid. It is right and proper before the very power of Almighty God that we fall on our knees and realize that we do not deserve to be there. But guess what God does in Christ Jesus? He pursues us. Be not afraid, for henceforth you will become a fisher of men. Then, when they get the boat back on land, Peter leaves everything to follow Jesus. Now, when we talk about the apostles... We actually don't have a lot of information about all of the apostles, right? We talked a little bit about St. Thomas and Simon and Jude, but you put them all together, they don't really have a lot of speaking lines, right? In the Catholic Church, we view St. Peter, Simon, whose name was changed to Peter in Matthew 16, as the first pope and the prince of the apostles. He was the guy in charge of the show. Why? Well, if you just were to do a quantitative analysis of names, Peter, Simon, Cephas, all the different variants of his name, is mentioned 187 times times. The second most mentioned apostle, right? A guy who even wrote the fourth gospel, John, if you take his name and all the variants of his name, like the disciple whom Jesus loved, it's 29 times. 187 29. That's a big difference. Why? Because Peter was always seen in the early church as having primacy over the rest of the apostles. Every time the apostles are listed, Peter's name always comes first. The Greek word for first can also mean head, and Peter is always mentioned first even though he wasn't the first to be called, and Judas is always mentioned last. This is important. When jesus has his transfiguration when jesus goes for the agony in the garden at certain key moments of jesus's ministry both public and hidden he calls peter james and john this inner circle of three out of the 12 to come and witness right so he takes them up the mountain of transfiguration and peter is the one who speaks lord let us build three booths it's good that we're here moses elijah you it's gonna be awesome the idea of peter's involvement at every step of jesus's ministry is center in all four gospels there are two other moments that i want to highlight when you see the role of peter as kind of spokesman for the apostle or singled out from the rest of the apostles one is the famous story of the uh, paying of the temple tax someone comes up to peter and he's like hey does jesus pay the temple tax he might think he's a prophet that he gets away with not being like a good citizen and so he goes he's like yeah sure he pays the temple tax and then he goes to jesus and he's like hey um do you pay the temple tax right so jesus and him have this fascinating conversation where he basically says who pays the owner or the renter the owner's children or the renter and he's like yeah no the renter pays the owner owns it he doesn't pay to take part of it and he goes okay okay so that we're not going to cause scandal or anything like that i want you to go fishing and you're going to catch the first fish you're going to open its mouth and there's going to be a coin and you're going to pay the temple tax for both me and you. Imagine what Jesus Christ is giving. Imagine what what he's saying about the identity of Simon Peter at that moment, that he is identifying himself, Jesus, as the son who owns the temple, but he's allowing Peter to share or participate in that divine sonship. That's Pretty powerful. But then the next story is a story that we all love. Sometimes if I I feel like if I were one of the 12, I would say, wow, Peter, I knew you were hungry, but both feet in your mouth. Peter constantly is rushing into things. He's overstating things. He's trying to impress the master. It's kind of a delight. So one day they set sail across the sea. They're not with Jesus. He's praying by himself. They're going across the sea of Galilee and Jesus walks on the water. And it's a famous story, right? He walks on the water. He catches up to the boat. And they're like, oh no, it's a ghost. And Jesus is like, it's not a ghost, it's me. And then Peter says, Lord, if it really is you, bid me come out to you and I will walk on the water. So he says, come. So Peter jumps out of the boat. He's walking on the water. Then he looks at the wind, the waves, taking his eyes off Christ, and he sinks and cries out, Lord, save me. You and I need to learn those three words, Lord, save me. The next word in the gospel account of the walking on the water is this beautiful word, immediately, immediately Christ stretched forth his hand, caught Peter and pulled him up. And I love this. Oh, you of little faith. He rebuked him. Oh, you of little faith. Imagine what the 11 other dudes still in the boat thought about their faith. At least Peter walked on water. Maybe it was for just a couple seconds, but compared to them, his faith was huge, but compared to what Christ wants for Peter, his faith was small. Now the next great story, the next great movement in the life of the early church is Jesus taking his disciples, his apostles to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And there at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asks the million dollar question, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the son of man is? They say, well, you're Moses or you're you're a Jeremiah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. These are not small things, but it's as if Jesus doesn't care that all of Israel thinks him to be a great prophet. His next statement almost ignores what they said. Who do you say that I am? So Jesus is now eliciting a confession of faith. And what does Peter say? We are believed and convinced that you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God and Jesus Right? It's almost like Peter gave Jesus a title, the, son, the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus turns and gives Simon a new name, a new title. And when God changes a name, he changes a mission. And blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but rather my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, You are rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. To you, I give the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He promises Peter that the church that Jesus will build, it's my church, I'm building it, but I'm building it on you, the rock, and your confession of faith, and your authority in the keys. He's saying the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Now, this is so important for us to understand because this is like one of the major classical texts that we look at and see that Simon Peter was set apart to be prince of the apostles and to carry within his uh, role as apostle and what he hands on to his successors. As the fullness of apostolic authority, he is what we call today the Pope the Holy Father, the head of the apostles. He's the guy that holds it all together. There are many ministers in the kingdom of David. He is the prime minister. Jesus Christ is investing in this man, a unique authority to safeguard and protect the gospel. And the life of Peter is rather incredible. You know, there's so much more that we could say and highlight in the gospels, right? But we come to that important part where Jesus is predicting his own death and Peter says, God forbid, and Jesus immediately after calling him Peter, now calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not thinking the way God does, but the way men do. So it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed to him, but God the Father in heaven, that Jesus is the son of the living God, and now what is it? Now you're going the way of Satan. Now you're going the way of men, not the way of God. It's almost like there is this war within every Simon between the call of Peter and the temptation of Satan to think the way of man. But Jesus Christ pours out his spirit and guarantees it. And in fact, Luke 22, where Jesus says, listen, Satan has demanded, he's talking to his apostles, Satan has demanded to sift you all like wheat. And he uses the plural, you all. But then he looks at Simon Peter and he says, but I have prayed for you, singular, that after you fail, you will turn and strengthen the brethren. And that's his role. It's not that he's perfect. It's not that he's sinless. It's that his role is to strengthen and confirm in faith the brethren. They all abandoned Christ, except for John, the beloved disciple. But you look at all the stories of overeager Simon Peter. Jesus says, I'm gonna be handed over to the authorities and they're gonna crucify me. And Peter's like, no, you're not. And then Peter says at a different time, well, then I'll die with you. Or even if all these others betray you, I will never betray you. And Jesus looks at him. You can imagine this. Before the cock crows, you will betray me three times. And three times he betrays Jesus. Swearing oaths and curses upon himself, I do not know the man. And scripture records that both of their eyes meet across the courtyard. And Peter runs away, weeping bitterly into the night. The story of the resurrection is absolutely incredible. The first person to witness the resurrection is another one of our relics, uh, Mary Magdalene. She witnesses it. She goes straight to... Peter, she tells Peter, Peter and John run to the tomb. John gets there first because he's younger and spry and he waits outside the tomb for Peter to come. Then Peter comes and they go into the tomb and they verify it's empty. Then Jesus manifests himself to Peter and and to the 11 that are left after Judas. And then the great gospel story in John, Peter is now fishing. They're back up in Galilee. Peter has returned to his old way of life. And there he is fishing and he sees a man on the shore, and he cries out, friends, have you caught anything? And he says, nothing. And he says, lower your nets on the other side, and they catch a huge amount of fish. And then John, the beloved disciple, says, it is the Lord. And Peter, hearing that, dives into the water, swims. It's actually kind of funny because he swims and right when he gets to the shore, so does the boat. So he could have just been dry and, but whatever. This is Peter. He's diving in, he's going deep and over his head. That's where he wants to be. So he goes up to Jesus, right? And then Jesus takes Simon Peter aside. And just as he denied him three times before his passion here in his resurrection, he gives him three beautiful opportunities of reparation and repentance. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Three times Jesus asked that of Peter. This movement that is the gospel, this movement that is Christianity, we have to understand Jesus Christ did not think of himself as the founder of a world religion who was starting this thing called Christianity. Jesus thought of himself as the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is fulfilling all that has come before, and he started not Christianity, not a worldwide religion. He started the church. And he founded that church on Peter and the 12 apostles. In fact, the book of Revelation shows that the heavenly Jerusalem descends out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband, and its foundation stones are carved 12 names, the names of the 12 apostles. Why? Because Jesus Christ's mission was not just to die for our sins, was not just to rise so that we could go to heaven. His mission was to create a new people. No longer in Adam and the fall, but now in him, the king, the resurrected one, the perfect and faithful son. And in this new family, Jesus Christ gave us, called the church. He built it on the role, the office of Peter, handed down to their successors to guarantee that the gospel that's preached would be the gospel that Jesus himself proclaimed. And that's the role, ladies and gentlemen, of the papacy all the way to today. The Pope's job and all of the bishops in union with the Pope, they're called the magisterium, they're the teaching authority of the church, so that the gospel that we have handed down, like St. Paul says in Galatians, you're believing another gospel. Not that there is one, but that's what you're doing. How do we know that we know that we believe the one true gospel that Jesus Christ gave humanity? We cling to Peter and to the apostles. So brothers and sisters, when we start to look at the life of Peter, we see here's this impetuous man, I can identify. We see this impatient man, totes right here, this guy who's always putting his foot in his mouth because he talks too much. I think that's more Jay. Uh, we see this guy who is human, all too human, and I love him for it. We also see a man who has big faith, who wants to live boldly, and Jesus Christ, though He has to give him a lot of course corrections, leads him ever deeper into sanctity. He builds the church on this man. I will build my church, Jesus says, on you, the rock. Ultimately you would find as the Acts of the Apostles begins to unwind. In chapter one, they're all gathered, the 11. They elect the 12th apostle, Matthias, to take the place of Judas. Acts two, the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, falls down upon those in the upper room, along with Mary and the other holy women. And now, Peter preaches the first homily in the history of the church. And then, the people hearing in the middle of Jerusalem say, brethren, we've been cut to the heart. What must we do to be saved? And he says, be baptized, all of you. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that day, 3,000 were added to their number. Over and over again, we find the authority of Peter. He's the first one to heal someone. Gold and silver we have not, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise. And walk and the man gets up and walks and then the next thing he does in Acts chapter 5 is the case of Ananias and Sapphira where he acts as supreme judge and these people they basically are stealing from the church and they both die this husband and wife because of the words and the command of Jesus he was the one that brought in Paul and Paul tells about it in depth in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul gets his mystical gospel given directly by Jesus but he still verifies it with Peter it's amazing the authority that this man has. He's the first one to baptize a non-Jew into Christianity, a holy man named Cornelius. Peter was the center of the church, and that's why when he went to Rome, the church is founded on Peter. Actually, quite literally, the very relics that we are going to get came from a tomb that was excavated over all these crazy amount of years. They found these bones attributed to a man named Petros, right? Peter, Right? And there, the church of St. Peter's Basilica was literally built on top of where they believed his tomb to be. But Peter would go to Rome to spread the faith in the very center of that which destroyed his Lord and Savior, right? The very people that crucified him Right, Peter would go to preach the gospel. And he was wildly successful. But when the persecution under Nero came to town, part of Rome burned. Nero apparently blamed the Christians in his 10th year as, as the emperor. And they begin this fierce persecution, especially in the city of Rome. The story goes that Peter tries to flee at the behest of his flock. He tries to leave. And then as he's outside the city of Rome, he sees his savior, Jesus marching in the opposite direction, carrying his cross. And he says, quo vadis, where are you going, Lord? And Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to Rome to be crucified. Not only was Peter one of the first apostles to be put in chains, but eventually he would be imprisoned by the Romans and he would be executed, being killed in the same way because he wasn't a Roman citizen, the same way that his savior was, crucified. But as they were about to hang him fast to the tree, he said, I don't deserve to die like my savior, Hang me upside down. The last thing that he saw was this Roman obelisk that they said the Caesars actually stole from Egypt a couple generations before and there upside down he would have seen that. that very obelisk is now in the center of St. Peter's Basilica right near the big fountain. So brothers and sisters what can we learn from the life of Simon Peter? We can learn one thing. I don't care who you are, you can be holy, you can be a saint. If you let yourself encounter the unsurpassable, unspeakable love of Jesus Christ, you have to let him in. And when he encounters you, that means you gotta repent, you gotta fall on your knees, you gotta own your sin so that he can take it away from you forever. You also have to be someone who says yes to Jesus. He might give you a mission that'll take your very life, but it will be worth it because he's the God who loves you. Also, we as Catholics have to be faithful to the bishops and to the Bishop of Rome, the very Pope that God gave us to guarantee the doctrine. Our individual Popes down through history might not have been canonizable, but that doesn't mean they don't exercise the authority that was given to them by Christ Jesus. Because at the end of time, when we stand before the son of David in judgment, one of those things is gonna be how we treated the prime minister in the kingdom of God. So here we are, he is the sign of our unity. The office of Peter, exercised for us, can let us rest secure in knowing that the gospel that Jesus died and rose to give us is preserved in the Catholic Church. May God bless you, God love you, and I will see you this Holy Week.